Drabble Classics, a weekly podcast featuring archived episodes of the Drabblecast drawn from the vault and injected with reanimation serum for your listening pleasure. Edited by Charity Hilton. Enjoy. Time for Drabble Classics. It's March 32nd, and you know what that means. March is Women and Aliens Month. So the calendar claims it's April 1st. For a moment today, as I prepared to publish this story, I felt despair, thinking March was over. But then I remembered the beautiful thing about April 1st. April 1st is the one day of the year that allows the bending and twisting of quantospatial vectors to create alternate reality as needed. This is a feature, not a bug. It has led to the silly understatement that April 1st is April Fool's Day. You'll feel fooled indeed when your belief that it is April 1st turns out to be a poor representation of the tentative and fragile connection your shifting reality has to the calendar. In fact, don't trouble your puny human understanding with it. Just celebrate March 32nd with me as I bring you a Women and Aliens Month story from the archives, one that will remind you how puny human understanding is. Around the time this story was played on the Drabblecast, the author took the world of fiction by storm with her novel Among Others, which won the 2011 Nebula Award for Best Novel and the 2012 Hugo Award for Best Novel. In fact, Among Others is only one of seven novels to ever have been nominated for all three major speculative fiction awards, the Hugo Award, the Nebula Award, and the World Fantasy Award. I'm Charity Helton, and today we're going to play Drabblecast number 235 for March 7th, 2012. Unreliable Witness by Joe Walton. Let's listen. Drabblecast, episode 235. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, round one of the People's Choice Awards wrapped up. We have the finalists up in our discussion forums off Drabblecast.org for you to go take a look at and vote for. There are three categories, Best Artwork, Best Drabble, and Best Story. The five finalists for that last category being Love in the Pneumatic Tube Era by Jessica Grant, episode 198, Boojum by Elizabeth Baer and Sarah Manette, episode 202 and 203, Creature by Ramsey Shahada, episode 206, The Wish of the Demon Actromagic by Yuji Foster, episode 214, and Followed by Will McIntosh, episode 217. Head on over to our discussion forums and vote. We'll have the polls up for all three categories the next two weeks. For now, though, let's hit a drabble. Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Try writing one yourself and send it in to submissions at drabblecast.org. This week's Drabble is called Missing Things by Ben Capity. Ben currently lives in Tuskegee, North Carolina with his beautiful wife and a cat that has thumbs. He's going to Western Carolina University with the hopes of eventually becoming a physical therapist. She slowly wakes up, groggy and confused. Lying in her bed, she mentally checks herself only to find a new set of stitches on her side below her ribs. 
Frantically, she jumps up and pulls the sheet off of her, searching. She throws the pillow to the side of the room, excitedly, but finds nothing. Not giving up, she continues her search. Millie, what are you doing in there? Her mom yells up the stairs. Not hearing an answer, she walks to Millie's room to find her holding a quarter while jumping and excitedly exclaiming, The kidney fairy came! So it's March. That means Women and Aliens Appreciation Month here on the Drabblecast. A full month of stories about aliens written by women. To follow up that drabble, we're looking into missing stuff this week with a story by Joe Walton called Unreliable Witness. Joe lives in Wales, as well as on selected parts of Usenet. She has published stories in Odyssey and Ad Hoc and Poetry in Artemis, and her first novel, The King's Peace, came out from Tor in October 2000. The sequel, The King's Name, will be out this year. The story is read to you by Delianne Forgay. Delianne's been doing voiceover for over 20 years. She started with radio drama for the CBC and was trained for news broadcasts. Her background includes theater and film, both in North America and the UK, and you've heard her several times here on the Travelcast. So, without further ado, we bring you Unreliable Witness by Joe Walton. I don't know if this is the same tape as last time, because they keep moving things around and stealing them. I don't know who does it. It may be the staff here, or my own family when they come to visit, or the aliens. But somebody's always doing it. Taking my glasses, my tapes, my TV remote, anything I put down for a second. I don't think it's the other residents. I used to think that, but I don't think they're that organized. Some of them are a bit senile, to tell you the truth. Can't remember what they're talking about. Never mind that it's time to go and steal my biscuit. Ah, they're not methodical enough to plague me like that. Still and all, whoever it is, I've managed to get a blank tape and the machine at the same time. I tested it and heard my horrible, quavery voice. But it works. Straight in, then. Straight to it. Who knows how much time I have left before somebody bothers me. My name is Catherine Whippleshaw, and I'm 89 years old. Last week, I was visited by an alien. He said his name was Tom. I'd never seen him before. He looked years younger than anyone I've seen for months. He looked as if he was about twelve. He put his head around my door and said, Mrs. Whippleshaw, can I talk to you? 
I agreed, of course. Oh, it's very boring in here. People treat me as if I'm an idiot. It's not just stealing my things. I mean, it's very annoying that anything gets stolen if I let it out of my hands for a second. But I've learned how to cope. I keep my handbag on my shoulder and the remote in one hand all the time, even when I'm eating. Oh, oh, and my glasses on a chain around my neck. <laughs> that was Kim's idea. Kim's my granddaughter. She's very clever. She gave me the chain. I was disappointed at the time because it wasn't a book. At one time, even after they'd got at all the other books in the world and made the print jump up and down, Kim could still find me books I could read. I remember the day even she couldn't find any any more. When she brought me a new Antony Burgess, and the lines were wiggling, oh, oh, I could have cried. Well, I did cry. Oh, I didn't behave well at all. I didn't even feel as bad as that when John died, as if there was nothing at all worth carrying on living for. Oh, I used words I've never used, words I heard men on the sites using. Wasn't even sure what some of them meant, but I shouldn't have said them to Kim. Kim understood I was just upset and frustrated, but Janice was there. And Janice thought that this was a sure sign that I was losing my mind. Oh, wait till you're 81, my proper little daughter-in-law. Wait until they're conspiring against you and taking your books away before you're so quick to judge. Janice is part of the conspiracy, I think. She talks in code. She spells words out and, and speaks in French. I think this is a blind meant to put me off. Richard had the grace to look uncomfortable when they shuffled me into this place and stole my books. Oh, they'd already replaced them with ones with wiggling letters. All but the ones where the print was too small to read, even with strong glasses. But I liked to have them around me. Oh, Kim understood. She picked out a pile of my favorites and brought them in for me when her parents weren't there. She brought me this tape recorder and some books on tape. Oh, it's not the same, but... By God, it's better than nothing. She's a good girl, and she knows what I like to read. That's more than Richard does. Dick Francis, he brought me. When did I ever read Dick Francis? Oh, all about horses. <laughs> well, I taught you to read myself, I said. 
And now you're taking my books away. You won't have room for them, Mom, he said, looking down sideways, anywhere but at me. You'll have your television. You like your television. <laughs> well, yes, television. Good enough in its way. Full of rubbish. But it doesn't talk to me as if I'm a three-year-old or as if I've suddenly split into twins. How are we today? Oh, I can't bear that. At least it's something else. People talking, stories, and nobody's managed to steal it from me yet. They do steal the remote, so that I'm stuck on a channel I don't want and miss the X-Files. Oh, oh, the X-Files. Oh, yes, the alien Tom. He pretended to be a kid at first, but... Suspicious straight away. As soon as I outright asked him if he was an alien, he admitted it. How did you learn our language? I asked him. From TV? He shrugged. He, he, he sounded sort of American, with an accent that, that didn't seem to come from anywhere in particular. I thought you'd never guess, he said. I thought it was a good disguise. Oh, you should have come as a doctor. We, we don't see kids in here often. At that time, I thought it was a better disguise than it was, that his real shape was 50 foot high and green, or something of that kind. Oh, but I never could have passed for an adult. When I look skeptical, he added, It's only the outside that's the disguise. Oh, I don't believe it. I looked straight at him. You mean there are a race of aliens that look enough like us to pass? Ha! Oh, that's nonsense. I may look like a senile old woman, but I'm not as ignorant as that. I've read science fiction. I know that the chance of that is, is well, like the chance of going to a random island in the Pacific and finding people who talk with a Bronx accent. I thought he'd lie and say that the human shape is the evolutionary stable or something of that nature. I remember how people get round these things in books. In films, they don't bother. At that point, I thought he was a kid fooling, even though I'd seen right through that in the first five minutes. Instead, he lifted up his T-shirt and showed me the other head he had underneath. Oh, horrible thing, squirmy, not keeping still. Are you the one who's stealing my stuff? I asked, keeping a very tight grip on the remote. No, Mrs. Wibbleshaw, but I know who it is. If you'll tell me your secret, I'll tell you that. 
He pulled his T-shirt down again. Thank God, I'd seen quite enough. What secret? Why, the question I asked when I came in. I couldn't remember. Oh, that isn't senility, by the way. When someone can't remember something, or my daughter-in-law Janice has been senile since Richard first brought her home, and she was only nineteen then. I asked you what it is to be old, the alien prompted. Why do you want to know? I asked. Well, our people don't do it. We live to breeding age, we have children, and then we die. We're much more intelligent than humanity as a species. We have all sorts of things you don't have technologically. We use singularities to travel between the stars. But we die at the equivalent of your age 40. So do all the other races we know, somewhere between 20 and 50. We want to know the secret of longevity from you. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a sample. I held out my arm and he popped a little needle against it. I hardly felt it. Oh, there isn't any secret, I said as he was doing it. Heart keeps on beating, you keep on living. But we don't. He sighed and put the needle in his pocket. He didn't look like a kid at all when he sighed. We don't have old age. We just die. Our minds turn off our bodies when they've done breeding. That's what our animals do, too. Everything in the galaxy, so far, except humans. It's not good enough. We'd all like to live longer lives. We've been working on longevity for years. And then we find you. What makes you want to carry on living? I mean, here you are in this horrible place, with yellow and brown wallpaper eating tasteless mush, hardly seeing your family, never seeing your friends. I know it isn't your choice, but why don't you just give up and die? What makes your heart keep beating? Ours don't. I laughed. <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> oh, oh, poor little aliens who can go faster than light. Just curl up and die. <laughs> What's that noise you're making? He asked. I always thought it was interference on TV. Uh, uh, I can see why he thought that too. Oh, horrible laugh tracks they have on some programs. <laughs> oh, oh, just laughing, I said. Oh, he looked puzzled. Maybe we live to be old because we laugh, I said. But really, we just do. There isn't any secret. Oh, there are plenty of times when if I could have just stopped my heart and died, I would have. When John died when they changed all my books. Christmas Day last year, when they stole part two of the Robert Jordan tape Kim had brought me, 
They never gave it back either. I hope the sample helps, he said, shifting a little in a very alien way. Why did you pick me? I asked. And what if I tell everyone? Nobody will believe you, he said. Then I heard a nurse coming down the corridor. He looked that way guiltily and took a step away. Not so fast, young man, I said. You told me you were going to tell me who's stealing my things. You didn't tell me your secret, he said, as if there was any secret. But anyway, nobody is. You just think things are being stolen because you can't keep track of them. He left then. Tom, he didn't keep his part of the bargain at all. Just the same old lie I get from everyone about it. He just walked out of the door and didn't come back. I tried to tell people about him. But he was right about that. They didn't believe me. M.A.D., Janice said, signaling with her eyes to Richard. Lenuzzo, le crack finale. Oh, she's the one who's mad, if you ask me, thinking that Franglay would fool anyone. But I admit... Saying that an alien has been to visit me sounds odd. So, I'm making this tape to explain it all. And I have a new theory. I think the people who are stealing my stuff are trying to find out about the aliens. That's probably why they usually bring it back and scatter it about in different places. They're not stealing it because they want it. They're searching for alien information. That doesn't explain why they take something so many times and other things only once, but... Well, perhaps they're not very bright. Perhaps they're the NSA or another lot of aliens. Oh, oh, I don't know. But if I leave this tape lying around, they'll find it and take it. Then they'll know the truth. And maybe they'll leave me in peace for a while. If Tom comes back, or I meet any more aliens, I'll make another tape. So just leave everything alone except tapes marked with an X. All right? Do we have a deal? I'll tell you anything about any aliens that come to visit me and you stop stealing my things!
was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Some people just don't know what they're missing. Blind snipers, for example. If you enjoyed this week's story, consider making a donation. Find support links off our webpage, drabblecast.org. We appreciate whatever you can give to help out the show. Moving on to our 100-character story winner this week, Troy St. James, with this one right here. Even they don't fully understand the butterfly effect. Yet they seem to love flapping those delicate and deadly wings. Think you can write a good story using only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Give it a shot. Post in our discussion forums where we draw our winner each week. Follow us on Twitter at The Drabblecast for the winners early each week. And that's our show, people. Remember, the Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Blog about us, post a review on iTunes, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Kathleen Beckett. You'll find a link to her in our show notes. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, I'm Norm Sherman, reminding you, it's only the outside that's a disguise. <laughs> <laughs>